Welcome one and all to uh, another episode of the Bigfoot Learning Podcast where we dive into what is all a part of lifelong learning and not so much on the creature of Bigfoot. So with learning, uh, today we have the honor of having Dr. Martin Moldenhauer as the our guest, he was a professor at Wisconsin Lutheran College for the English department for 22 years, and I'm grateful to have you on today. All right, Dr. M, so you've been a professor for most of your life, and how, you know, looking at your life with the lens of lifelong learning, how would you describe some of the learning opportunities that you've been able to step uh, have uh, um, have stepped into throughout your life and uh, um, and any lessons learned from those such opportunities thanks Monica a former student of mine at Wisconsin Lutheran College and for the complete context of this conversation, also a student that I took abroad to teach her there with some other students. I'm 70 years old now and fully retired, so I can look back on seven decades worth of learning and at the traditional grade school, high school, college, intending to be a teacher, English teacher, and then uh, moved on from there into my master's work almost immediately after graduating from college. And I did uh, part of my master's at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. And then upon moving to Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, I did part of my master's at the Ohio State University. And then after a few more years, returned to Wisconsin, where I finished up my master's at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. So I kind of chased my tail there for a few years early in my teaching career, and then uh, taught at high schools, Lakeside Lutheran High School in Lake Mills, Northwestern Prep in Watertown, Wisconsin, which became Luther Prep after a name change, and then decided I wanted to work further on a doctorate. So my educational aim was south into Illinois, where I picked up a Ph.D. in English studies from Illinois State University in Normal, Illinois. And that led almost directly to my college teaching, where I taught at uh, MATC, both the Madison uh, Technical College and MATC, the Milwaukee Technical Colleges, all four campuses. So I guess you'd say I have a wide array of teaching experiences, but the way I understand your your context here, you want me to talk about the travels that I've done. And I'll, I'll start with Mark Twain, a pretty important American author, novelist, short story writer, humorist. Mark Twain traveled around the world even in the 1880s and 90s when that was not commonplace. He was the first, really, to step out of the United States in 1865 after the Civil War. The Civil War prohibited any travel anywhere, but Twain was engaged by a 
by newspaper to travel to the Mediterranean Sea on a boat and write a documentary, sort of, of people he met and things he observed. He called it uh, the Innocence Abroad, Innocence being the tourists that he was with. And that began his lifelong love of learning and travel. Twain himself never went to college. In fact, you really couldn't say he graduated from high school either because of his youthful escapades and dropping out of school. But he said, and here's the quote that's vital to this podcast, travel is fatal to prejudice. And I really believe that's true. It was true for Twain in the 1880s and 1890s, and it's true for us in the 21st century. Again, travel is fatal to prejudice. He lived in Florence, Italy for several years near the end of his life, and he traveled to London and Liverpool, England, and he traveled around the world by boat. Of course, airplanes weren't in existence in the 1880s and 90s. Twain died in 1910. But the concept is so true that the more you experience others, and this could be done within the United States just as well as Europe or elsewhere in the world, If you get out of your little box that you call home and your little neighborhood that you call your backyard and you travel, you will meet other people and you will discover other cultures and you will eat other foods and you will learn other customs. And all of that contributes to a breakdown of the prejudicial feeling that my life is the best and my hometown is just superior to anybody else's hometown, and that prejudging, which is really prejudice, that prejudging fades away, and you discover as you travel uh, that others live ample lives with opportunities and advantages just the same as you thought you did. So I live by that. As a Christian, of course, I have God as my baseline, but I also know that God created all the people in all the races uh, on this planet. And as we travel, as I've traveled, Monica, I have 47 states that I've visited now at age 70. My wife and I plan to hit Louisiana, New Orleans, as they say, on our way to Tucson, Arizona in January. So in January of 2022, God willing, we'll swing through Louisiana, hit New Orleans, and that will become my 48th state. Then, this sounds a little self-serving, doesn't it? But I think it fits the motif. Then Alaska, we're looking very seriously into cruise or flight or train to Alaska and do take advantage of that adventurous state. Hawaii is on the distant calendar. It's expensive. It's a long ways We don't yen to be there, but it would complete my 50 states. And then, as you know, foreign countries, I've taken students abroad to Germany, Austria, Poland, the Czech Republic, Scotland, Ireland, England, and Italy. I've also visited Mexico and Canada, but that didn't involve students. So that's sort of a a background on where I've schooled myself in where I've traveled 
And now I'm going to put the microphone in your hands and let you guide me and lead me a little more toward uh, more conversation. Well, very cool. I Over the past few years, I've been able to learn a little bit about you through joining on some of those that travel and uh, having you for class as well. And so it's cool being able to hear more along those lines and yeah the mark twain quote certainly hits it right on the nose of how instrumental travel is to really learning about those outside of ourselves and those all over the world really and uh going off the note of you know the different trips that you've led with students I was curious, what are some lessons that you've learned and they could be like a few favorite lessons that you've taken out from those student trips? That's a good question. And certainly students have taught me all along my 47 years of teaching at the grade school, high school and college level. Uh, I am a lifelong learner and I think that's why you've asked me to be part of this. Uh, broadcast is I I love learning and I have not stopped but lessons learned along the way I think one of the key lessons just being a person being a teacher being a sports psychologist being a trainer being a truck driver is to get to know the people with whom you're traveling or experiencing or teaching or working Uh, not to be isolated and that can That can be important whether you're traveling or not. It can be your neighbors. It can be the people across the hall. It can be the people at the store. Uh, A good common engagement with people is important. Now, taking that and transporting students to Europe with a 10-hour plane flight and time changes, one takes along additional lessons and learns additional lessons, and one is safety. I think as you travel and as you live your life, right now I'm sitting in West Allis, Wisconsin, a suburb of Milwaukee, but there are neighborhoods, there are places, there are things that you should avoid. And that certainly applied in in Europe when I took 10 or 12 or 15 students with me to travel in completely unknown territory. So being wary, being uh, aware, wary and aware, how about that, is a good thing. And I always managed to keep everybody safe and brought them back healthy and strong, as well as myself. <laughs> but but safety is a big thing. If, you don't, if you're careless, if you allow um, escapades that border on the verge of dangerous, then something will happen. And if you venture into an area where there is not help available or protection available or you're putting yourself in harm's way, uh, that also is unwise. So a big lesson, almost a predecessory lesson, Monica, is to be safe. And that, that applies whether you're traveling alone with a backpack or whether you're traveling with suitcases or driving across the country or just going out for a walk in your own neighborhood to be wary, look around, notice what's happening, and then to be safe. 
But I could go on with other lessons. Do you want me to keep going with other lessons? Sure, she's nodding. Okay, uh, traveling is also important to get directions, to know maps, to have a GPS in the more modern age. When I first started traveling, of course, we didn't have a GPS or even a handheld uh, phone. But to really know where you're heading and to know what the neighborhood looks like and to know alternate routes and to know where the river stops you from crossing and to know how high the mountain is and to know how many people live in that village. Uh, All of those things are, are important in directional directional directions <laughs> knowing knowing where you're going and knowing how to get there is important I, I think you put it in the lap of the Lord too that he is protecting he is guiding we pray without uh, worry and and we know that the Lord guides our steps but I'd say safety and directions are my first two things I've said then if I can get a little more enterprising I would say exploring also because if you just walk the same road or sidewalk and get in the car and drive on the same highway and go to the same motel or go to the same cabin up north or fish in the same pond that's all you're going to know you have to be willing to explore investigate move in areas that were previously unfamiliar ask someone a question that gives you further information, visit a little museum or an art gallery or stop at a truck stop and not a McDonald's. Those are the kinds of things I've always advocated, both for my family and my students when I travel. At certain times, you have to drive on a freeway where there's nothing but billboards and exit signs. But you should get off, too, and see what a little town looks like or have a milkshake at a little family-owned hamburger stand and talk to the people about how it feels to live in that little hamburger stand. Now, I guess I'm crossing back and forth between the United States and Europe. If I were in Europe, I don't think I'd be stopping at a hamburger stand and getting a milkshake. But the same principle applies. You have to investigate. You have to explore. You have to be willing to except a little bit of outside your comfort zone. So I'm rambling. I'll give the microphone back to you, let you restore my direction or whatever you'd like me to talk about next. Thank you for sharing. When you were describing each of those lessons that you've taken to heart, I I really felt those as well as lessons that... I took to heart as well, like going on one of the trips that you led, which um, was the one to the UK and for there, like since that time, now I do feel more comfortable or ready to do traveling outside of that trip because I've had someone like you really embody those lessons of exploring safety and uh, directions and um yeah that 
hitting on the directions one that makes me think of like being in the Lake District and just exploring some of the little fells or mountains that they have there that after doing some exploring just on a free day really learned how much you know knowing ahead of time or having more precise instructions or directions from the uh someone from the town to like go around the mountain can be otherwise you can easily get lost and then that falls into safety and all the other elements of that you mentioned as well so um thankfully everything worked out for that free day and everyone came back all right uh to find those caves and waterfalls but um but yeah I definitely uh see what you mentioned as lessons that can be applied to traveling either far away or just traveling locally or wherever travel ends up taking you and whatever lessons come to be they may fall into some of those so just uh keeping some of those in mind and being able to be ready safe in the right direction and curious when you do go and travel so we've touched on a bit about your background and then some of your own travels and so uh I feel like you've sort of answered this next question, but uh, with it, I'm curious if you have anything else that you would add to it, uh, anything you may have shared in the beginning. But say Noah Webster or for Oxford, like for the dictionaries, they're like, oh, Dr. Mollenhauer, you know, you have this opportunity to write your own definition of learning in the dictionary. You get your own slot right next to the word. And what would you like to be the definition of learning according to Dr. Mollenhauer? That's an intriguing question, and I'll take a stab at it. I I do want to say with regard to those free days in Europe, I'm, I was dealing with 21-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds, so it, it wasn't just casting them to the wild dogs of the Lake District, which is a beautiful area of England northwest toward the Irish Sea. If anybody gets over to the UK, United Kingdom, uh, that's a spot to visit. Beautiful lakes and fells, as Monica said. Fells are small mountains climbable but not easily climbable. Uh, Back to the learning, my name uh, after Noah Webster or the Oxford English Dictionary. Learning, I think, is an accretive process. What what I mean by that is everybody has a core knowledge. In first grade, you learn to read and write, print, print your name. But you add layers to that. Uh, Accretive is to add layers And I think we all stop adding those layers at some point or another. Some people after eighth grade, some people after high school, some people after college. Monica, you're working on your master's degree, and uh, and I have a doctorate. But that doesn't mean learning is done. Then you add to that with 
I guess when I was a coach for basketball, I would I would say, guys, you're welcome to make mistakes, but don't make them again and again and again. If you beat your head against the wall and it hurts, stop beating your head against the wall. And the converse of that is true, too. If you're finding some new things, follow those new things, explore them, add them to the layers, sort of like varnish on a table, if you've ever varnished a table. You put that first layer on, it hardly shows. It has to have a second layer and a third layer and a fourth layer. And each of those varnished layers on your table make it shinier and thicker and more polished and more protected. So that's how I would look at learning. It's a series of adventures and experiences that add accretively to your life knowledge. And you can add as much as you want to for as long as God allows you to live. At some point, your world shrinks, and you're not going to be hiking 10 miles anymore, and it probably isn't going to be practical to drive for 12 hours in a car, and maybe flying across an ocean would be difficult. So then your your view of the world shrinks, and you can watch television or get on the computer or read books or visit with the neighbors. But you don't have to stop learning and stop adding layers to that uh, life experience. That was a lovely description, and that certainly is it's not a just like a one-time thing. A learning compounds, and then there's different opportunities to either keep adding to it or have it at whatever level it is. And yeah, it's it's kind of just up to what you choose to do with that learning and uh, what what learning opportunities even you would like to seek out and such and um, and take advantage either intentionally or unintentionally and see what comes of it. It's awesome. Well, with the podcast focus of learning and going to the namesake of the podcast of other people who you've learned from and that have from stepping into your life and leaving an impression of some kind of lesson we're gonna go into that quote-unquote bigfoot aspect of who who would you say has been a personal bigfoot for you of someone who you've been able to meet in person and um, and along with that some of the lessons that you've embodied or after time may have noticed of uh, of their impact on your life okay I assume by Bigfoot you're talking about a Bigfoot impression to follow the footsteps rather than the mythical creature who lives in the Pacific Northwest also called Sasquatch right okay so, yeah, big feat to follow. My dad is uh, deceased now, five years. He was a teacher for most of four decades, elementary school, five different places. And it's really a truism, Monica. Uh, Mark Twain said it this way. <laughs> Mark Twain said, I couldn't believe how stupid my dad was when I was 12 years old. And when I was 20 years old, I couldn't believe how much he'd learned. 
uh, wry, wry sense of humor there and really inaccurate because Twain's actual father died when he was 11. But the point is still well made that as we grow older, and you're in your 20s, I'm 70, uh, we look to those ahead of us, those older th- than us, to set a model or an example that we can follow, that we can try to put our footprints in their footprints. And my father was such a man. Through the years, he was quiet, uh, not necessarily uh, tremendously educated. He stopped his education after college and then began a career of teaching 7th and 8th grade and being principal of five different elementary schools. But I think patience is something I learned from him that he put one foot in front of the other and he plotted toward success at every place he served and he achieved success, not in a flashy, showy way, but gradually. And I learned that from my dad. And I also find myself quoting my dad lots of times to people and I I step back and I wonder, why am I quoting my dad? He's been dead for five years, he's in heaven He would have been 95 years old, but these things stick with you when you're a boy, and he would say there's more than one way to skin a cat. Well, what a dumb metaphor. You don't, nobody skins a cat, but, but the uh, implication of that is quite important. There's more than one way to succeed at doing something, to complete a task, or let's see if I can pick up another one. He would have said, Oh, uh, this one I don't think was unique to my dad, but he'd say, measure twice, cut once. You're you're careful about what you're doing as you're a carpenter or sawing a board. You want to make sure before you actually act. And that goes back to what I said about being safe and having a wariness when you travel. But certainly my dad. Uh, there was another professor at Illinois State University whose name was Dr. Ronald Fortune, and he became my advisor for my dissertation. But he's probably the smartest guy that I ever met face-to-face because Dr. Fortune, what a name, huh, Dr. Fortune, could just read anything and remember it endlessly. If you talk about a photographic memory, uh, this man had one, and I saw it enacted many times, and what that taught me was really humility because here I am working on a doctorate. I've got my master's degree at several colleges. I've had good grades along the way, and God bless me with a fertile mind. But nothing compared to Dr. Ronald Fortune, nothing compared to his knowledge of the world, his erudite and articulate speech, the way he could teach lessons. And he mastered so much and really led me into my study of authors' manuscripts, authors' early drafts as they go through the creative process of writing and composing. He achieved so much at Illinois State University and brought brought to the campus original manuscripts in a repository in a rare books room, won grants for hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of dollars to enhance the the holdings that Illinois State University had and has and influenced me directly into my study of authors, their composing process, their manuscripts, their drafts, and that's what my dissertation speaks to. 
So he comes to mind as the smartest man I've ever met personally. Now, if you want to look at the smartest person who ever lived, I've read an interesting little computer study. Maybe I taught this to you, Monica, when you were in my classroom some years ago. But there were three names that came out on this computer search for the smartest person who ever lived. I shouldn't say man. It could have been a woman, too. They plugged in their knowledge of language. They plugged in their inventions. They plugged in what other people had said about them, their wordage. And three names came out. And one of them was Albert Einstein, the physicist, mathematician, astronomer, who I think the legend is flunked fourth grade. His mind was immeasurably smart. Another one was William Shakespeare, after my own heart, the man who wrote 37 plays and 200 sonnets and could write about the world and people in the world and aspects of those people in the world, even though he never really ventured very far from Stratford-upon-Avon and London. And the third one, most surprisingly, is Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther, who forged the German vernacular language, composed and translated, I shouldn't say composed, translated the Bible in 11 months, uh, was a professor and a preacher and a writer and a hymn writer all at the same time and really changed the face of Protestantism in Europe and ultimately in the world. So that's what the computer spit out as the top three smartest people. And two out of the three I have great admiration for and would love to follow in their footsteps. Albert Einstein, I don't know anything about the theory of relativity or his mathematical formulas. But but that's kind of interesting. A little off the track because you asked me for people who'd influenced me. But that I thought was interesting for your listeners. And it was a computer study done in Nebraska or Kansas. Some Midwestern university came up with that data. Other influential people, oh, lots of writers that I've studied through the years, like Ernest Hemingway or Mark Twain or F. Scott Fitzgerald or Robert Frost or Carl Sandburg. The list would be quite long. As I read each of those authors, their poems, their stories, their novels, their essays, uh, they teach me. One of the most influential books I loved, still do, is Walden by Henry David Thoreau. And he's the man, dwarfish fellow, five feet four, who lived in the mid-1800s, early 1800s, to, uh, well, let's just say 1819 to 1862, uh, in near Boston on Walden Pond. And he built a little hut out there and lived there for two years, two months, and two days, and wrote a book called Walden. And it is about solitude, and it's about introspection, and it's about humility. And I, I read that book, and I've taught that book, and I love that book for its basic view of a human being's life. And he did not travel. This kind of goes in the face of travel is fatal to prejudice. He stayed in Massachusetts most of his life. He did make a trip toward the end of his tuberculosis filled last years to Wisconsin and Minnesota. But mostly he stayed in Massachusetts, where you're going to school, Monica. And uh, that would be Concord, where Walden Pond is located. 
but it's just such an influential book for me personally. So even though I never met the man, he's influenced me in, in many ways with his view of nature and his love of nature and his ability to to survive alone by himself. He never married, never had children, didn't travel much, but yet he had an amplitude of thoughts and ideas that I found fascinating. So those would be some of the people I've learned from. And, uh, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't say a Christian's life is predicated upon prayer and devotional studies, reading the Bible. A man named Professor Daniel Deutschlander died within the past few months, and he left a, a wealth of dogmatics books, easily readable, giving advice to God, Grace Abounds, and a number of others that my wife and I are currently reading. And you talk about a, a well-presented story of biblical truths. Dr. No, Professor Daniel Deutschlander is uh, well worth pursuing. Listeners could look that up. Professor Daniel Deutschlander. Here you go. Thank you for sharing. You ended up actually covering not only that question, but the the next question I was going to check in on of those individuals who you may not have personally met, but like whether it be writers or uh, other sorts who you would have learned more so from afar, from reading their works or in, um, and such instances like that, that, um, that yeah, for your example with Henry David Thoreau for Walden fits that really well. And, um, and yeah, that's another one that's on my list. So another book to, that's, on the list and for listeners out there that you can add to your own reading list if you do feel so inclined and uh, since we covered some of your personal and Bigfoots and Bigfoots from afar now we're going to kind of take a step back get a little creative with it and have some fun with this next question of who would you consider a fictional Bigfoot from any of the works you've read or anything that you've watched or taken in that has been a character or even like a a world that's kind of fictionalized but has different lessons or themes that really clung to you after going through them? That's tougher. I've read so much and through the years, but a fictionalized character that might represent, this this might be a little off-putting for some of your people, might represent uh, America at its core is Huckleberry Finn, created by Mark Twain. Of course, Huck is a 14-year-old kid who has no real father or mother, and he's just living on his own in Hannibal, Missouri, and 
and then hops on a raft to escape the wrath of the townspeople and and for an adventure. And he rides that raft with a large runaway slave named Jim. And Huck and Jim become heartfelt pals. This is set in the 1830s, way before the Civil War, when slavery was not abolished but allowed. And that book speaks to the human heart of of companionship and comradeship and and love. And many people misread it, and because it uses the N word, which was contextually factual in the 1830s. Uh, they they say the book should be banned, but they don't read the book. They don't see the genuine love that Huck has for Jim and the protective nature of Jim for Huck. Uh, but those two embark on an experience that's far more than Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer books. It's It's really to the heart of people and the way we should respect one another and the way we should come to know one another and the way we should sacrifice for one another. And Huckleberry Finn would be a Bigfoot fictional character. And I'll think of some others if you want me to, otherwise he's pretty important to me. In spite of the way people have criticized that book, anyone... And Huck uses bad language, and he's a deviant little boy, and he steals things, but all of that is, is within the maturation of this boy to becoming a golden friend of Jim. And Jim nearly sacrifices his life to protect Huck, a most unlikely pair on the Mississippi River floating down from St. Louis to New Orleans on a raft, a wooden raft. So I guess in a way there's an inward and an outward look at life, Monica. The inward part is in your heart, in your mind, and the lessons you treasure and keep keep there. And the outward part is the expansion, the exploration, the investigation that you do by walking, by driving, by flying somewhere, by staying in a new place, meeting new people. So both introspection and looking outward are valuable. I don't think we should be too much of one or the other. And I'm guess I'm dodging your question of Bigfoots from fiction. Many of the books and authors that I've read and loved and taught are not necessarily models of good behavior. Ernest Hemingway, I mentioned a while back, had four wives and extramarital affairs and loved the bloodthirstiness of war and bullfights and deep sea fishing and safari hunts. None of that is exactly admirable, but the way Hemingway posed words and described scenes and prodded the purpose of life is very inspirational. So all of his characters, they vary from book to book. Santiago, an old Cuban fisherman, goes out to find a a large fish and captures it only to have sharks appear and, and eat it up. But 
he demonstrates indomitable will and the courage to go forth, even by himself, out into the ocean and fight this fish, which was actually longer than his boat was, only to lose it to the sharks and then only to sleep for another day to get up early and go out to fish again. Such a good lesson there for our courage and our determination and our stick to So that's a couple of big foots, I think, for you. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, with the note that you mentioned in the middle of that, I would agree with that of how, yeah, finding that balance in a way of introspection and outward exploration and uh, kind of, yeah, I'd say like seeing where each individual is like healthy dose or what works best for them. But yeah, it's one extreme of the, without the other uh, can not always be the best. So another, another point to keep in mind as we keep, going forward in life of keeping each of those in mind and seeing where you can maybe lean a little bit more into one or see where where one may be lacking and see how you can fill that void and refill that area. Yeah, I think it's a balance in, in that really bespeaks our lives a balance between sleep and rest and work travel and staying at home and accumulating more friends and nurturing the ones you have reading more watching less tv (laughs) one of my one of my personal mottos Uh, everything's a balance you could put it in political terms if one wanted to Uh, Are the Republicans always right and the Democrats always wrong? Are the Democrats on the right path and the Republicans on the wrong path? Uh, It's a balance. And I learned a little bit of this from my son, who's a pastor out in North Dakota, Bismarck, North Dakota, who writes to me, calls me, and visits from time to time. He's only 36 years old, but he's been in the ministry for 10 years. And he has a good sense of balance to nurture his people and to to give them the word and yet to have fun and recreate and play volleyball and, and laugh loudly and grow a big long beard and shoot deer. He's He's got a good balance of the work ethic and the recreational aspect of anything, much less being a pastor to a Lutheran church in Bismarck, North Dakota. That's great to hear about for your your sons and and it's not always an easy thing finding that balance and um so another kind of food for thought to just keep in mind and with that some uh from that balance it's, I'm gonna kind of jump from. For this final question, uh, now you were teaching many years, now you're retired, but now kind of through here and throughout 
your life as you explain your a lifelong learner and so to give you one last uh another chance to share any final thoughts for this episode for any lessons or just final thoughts in general that you would like to leave the listeners with sure thanks for that opportunity too monica the uh, recent years and months recent months and year and a half for me have been retirement years and there's a transition there it isn't just that you're teaching one day and the next day you're not Uh, nothing is that abrupt it's a, a more gradual thing and now I'm a year and two months into retirement so I can I can look back at it a little better and say it and I know my audience here is, is are not retired people I'm not people who are retired but my, my point is more the transition through life when you get done with high school you have to choose a college and Monica you chose Wisconsin Lutheran College and I happen to be a professor there and we met but after college, you have to decide, is it work? Is it marriage? Is it military? Is it graduate school? And you chose graduate school, and and that plopped you out into Massachusetts. And after that, there's job employment. Where will I work, and how will I advance, and who will I meet? So the transitions of life continue unless you don't embrace them. And then it can become very sedentary and solitary. You can work, let's just say, at a factory pushing a button uh, 10,000 times a day until you're done with your 40 years of work and and you go home. And even, I'm not criticizing factory workers who, who do piecework, but even there you, you could strive for learning, exploration, find some Bigfoots, find a new path, go to a new place. But I'm contrasting that with the idea that you're done with something, you're done with learning, or you're done with raising your kids, or you're done with travel. I don't think you're ever done. I think it it continues, and it should continue right up to your last breath, that you pursue dreams, that you have goals, that you apply your strengths toward the task and minimize your weaknesses toward the task. I think that's a winning formula, don't you? To uh, maximize your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. And then in time, hopefully your strengths become more plural and your weaknesses become less extreme. So that's kind of a good secular motto too. Maximize your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. And as you go through life, age 24 or age 70, there will be transitions and there will be moments of pondering and you're sort of standing on the road that Robert Frost describes as two roads diverged in a yellow wood, the path not taken. And he says at the end of that poem, and that has made all the difference. You're constantly making choices. You're constantly deciding about life. And no matter which decision you make and no matter where you pursue it, make the best of it and enhance it and ponder it. No one can live yesterday over again. They're only tomorrows. It's about as 
bland a generality as I could possibly say, but hopefully it fits this motif of learning in life, having Bigfoot experiences, big feet to follow, heroes, heroines, people that you think are admirable, learning from them, all the characters in the Bible too. My goodness, you could go through the apostles list and the disciples and Peter and Paul and James and John and all of them who followed their Lord and how they did it haphazardly and with with pitfalls from time to time and mistakenly, but yet they were guided by a gracious Savior toward, toward their heavenly uh, finality. So that's just me rambling, and you can edit this as you want to, and for all the listeners, thanks for listening to this uh, podcast by Monica Tooze, and I wish her the best, and it's been nice seeing her again after a couple of years of not seeing her. And this is Dr. Martin Moldenhauer signing off today. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Bigfoot Learning Podcast. You made it this far into the episode. This is the part of the show that go into the post-episode reflection. That can either be pertaining to the process of editing, recording, or putting out the episode, and any other general lessons learned along the way. First off, I'm grateful to have had Dr. Martin Molenauer as a guest on the show, and it was great being able to learn even more from him. He has numerous stories, whether from his travels abroad or closer to home, all throughout that embrace, that lifelong learning philosophy and way of life. So thank you again for joining. With this episode, it was a bit of something different for me. Uh, Prior to this point, I had done all interviews virtually. This was the first in-person one. Overall, the experience was a lot of fun, actually being in the same room as the person that I'm interviewing, yet it still came with some hiccups along the way. One of those hiccups being with technology, when I was thinking back on it the day of, I was thinking how, okay, I should have worked on these, getting more comfortable and familiar with these mics and extra equipment for in-person before this a lot more. And that ended up playing a part into the episode. Dr. M and I ended up just using one microphone and passing it back and forth, which ended up working out all right. You may hear throughout the episode where those mic passes are, try to get most of them out. However, we may do with what was available and work forward. Another technology hiccup that came into play and my mentality during the recording was how the volume was going to be. That was one area that I was a little anxious about. 
and it ended up coming out all right overall. And however, my focus got drawn away a little bit during the interview to that. It took away a little bit of flow and confidence level there. And with there, even played a part into putting this episode out. This episode was originally recorded back in August, and it took a couple months to actually put it out, to actually listen to it, do that, editing, put it out. And so from all that, that learning process was delayed due to fear due to those little anxieties around what I thought could lay ahead for me. Thankfully, everything turned out fairly well. And now I can build on to hopefully more in-person interviews in the future and to go into it, but more confidence, not only technology-wise, And also with the whole experience overall with the interviews and such. With that, I would like to encourage you to see what those different opportunities are for you to learn. Going off of the theme of this episode, learning whether through exploring far away or nearby where you are and just doing something a little different. Similar to, you know, maybe you go one route, but you go another one for one day while going to work, seeing how that experience is. Or you usually do one activity one way, however, try a different way and see how that plays out. So as I try to encourage throughout each episode, try to see those different opportunities to learn and continue growing throughout each day that you have. Until next time.